Would you please pray with me? God, we look and listen for a word from you, again, to give us a point of view that is more than our own. Help us to chew on it, savor it, and be made well by it. Amen. Good morning. My friend, who is a retired pastor, once told me that pulpits are enlarged by guest preachers. Whenever he needed to be away and invited a guest preacher to preach in his stead, he would return to a more spacious pulpit with more room for new interpretations of scripture. I am so grateful to the Reverend Jesse Garner for preaching these past three Sundays. And from all that I have heard about Reverend Garner's sermons, I know that his thoughtful preaching has indeed deepened and enlarged SPC's pulpit. I thank him, and I thank you for so warmly receiving him. Michael, Sophia, and I returned on Monday night from our first trip to Scotland. There we worshipped at St. Giles Cathedral, which is known to be the mother church of Presbyterianism in Scotland. We also spent time with other members of this congregation on the island of Iona, where Christianity first came to the British Isles. We also spent time visiting the Scottish Highlands, where the countryside and coastland were breathtakingly beautiful. What we learned is that 91% of the Scottish population live on 2% of its land. There is so much uninhabited land in Scotland. And as you can imagine, one feels a profound sense of awe and majesty at the grandeur of creation, accompanied by an equally profound appreciation for being present in its midst, and somehow, for better or worse, being connected to it. It is such a remarkable feeling, exhilarating and humbling, and it provides such valuable perspective that I feel sad that I have to travel so many miles to experience it. And yet, no doubt the land would run the risk of becoming overdeveloped and overrun by people if it were easier to reach. By the time we took an airplane, a train, a ferry, a bus, and another ferry to encounter all this, we felt that we could have been at the edge of the world. This is how theologian Caleb Gordon describes the feeling that he has when he is in not Scotland, but Alaska. In his essay entitled, The Edge of the World, he writes about his relationship to Alaska, a place that has been called the last frontier. Before Alaska became a United States state, when it was still considered a territory, Caleb Gordon's great-grandfather headed up north to the mostly uninhabited land of Alaska to build a life there in the wilderness. And since then, Caleb Gordon's family has resided in Alaska. There have been times in Alaska when, he says, the dark is so dark and the cold, so cold, that you feel separated from the sun. When he's in a wild place like Alaska, 
he feels something very akin to looking up at the stars because it's a matter of looking out from his own world and into another, one that he has not made, one that has not been constructed by people. While Alaska still has a lot of uninhabited land, a lot has changed in the way people relate to it. Caleb Gordon has observed that where once people lived in a state of dependence on the wilderness, now there is a kind of hybrid dependence in which people are partially dependent on the land and partially dependent on everything and everywhere else. No longer are people as fully dependent on the place they say they are from. As an illustration of this phenomenon, Caleb Gordon recalls the first time he killed a moose. He was in his early teens, brought up by his father, an expert hunter. Hunting and fishing were part of how Caleb knew Alaska. He writes, we spotted it early in the morning with a long range telescope, a little yearling bull with one deformed antler hanging down behind its eye. It wandered across the valley below us, so we moved down the hill for a closer shot. I raised the rifle, aimed the crosshairs as well as I could, and shot it. After a short, a short search, we found it lying in a patch of tall grass. I remember it gazing directly at me as I approached it, I thought it seemed much calmer than I expected it to be. I got close enough that I knew I couldn't miss and shot it once more in the head. And that was it. Killing your first moose is very much a coming of age event and my dad was proud. I smiled for pictures, but remember wondering why I didn't feel more excited. I distinctly remember thinking, I'm not hungry. Not just in that moment, but generally, I remember feeling like I didn't need to kill it. What does it mean to kill a moose when you're not hungry? This question continues to bother Caleb Gordon, and he applies it to the long history of people coming to Alaska to take something and leave. He applies it to his own people, his family, who loved what it meant for Alaska to be a frontier. They loved that feeling of being out beyond civilization, dependent on the land. With the presence of international chain stores in most towns there now, and smooth, fast roads between them, most Alaskans no longer live off the land in any meaningful sense. That sense is largely gone. And perhaps even calling it the last frontier suggests that its status was always expected to be temporary. This grieves him. He writes, I have an irrational and selfish wish that no one else should be allowed to move there, that adding more people can only make it worse. I am not exempt from that. I too drove my gas-powered car bought whatever I wanted via international traders, 
paid for university by catching as many fish as possible to be sold thousands of miles away. I am part of the system whose effects I grieve. I participate in it, perpetuate it, benefit from it. And yet I want to create boundaries. Go no further than here. Can't we at least leave this bit alone forever? To recognize how intertwined our lives, our livelihoods and lifestyles are with the natural world that is both near to and far from us, and to see the natural world become spoiled by our relationship to it causes grief. There's a term for this grief in particular. It is called ecological grief or climate grief. It refers to the sense of loss that arises from experiencing or anticipating environmental destruction or climate change. Like other kinds of grief, it can involve what psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross identified as five stages, not always sequential. Denial is one, anger is another, Often that anger is directed in looking for someone to blame, others or oneself. Bargaining is another. Depression or despair is another. And acceptance is the final stage. For some, such grief is tied to the loss or anticipated loss of specific ecosystems that are specially significant to them. Today, as more people living in different areas of the world are experiencing impacts of climate change, we're beginning to grasp what it means to lose the whole, piece by piece. For younger generations, climate-related issues are going to be higher and higher priority. It's no wonder that climate-related stress and participatory grief are increasingly felt by young adults. According to the largest survey ever conducted on climate anxiety, which involved 10,000 young people in over 10 countries, about three quarters of young people felt that the future is frightening. About half said that they experienced climate anxiety to a, a degree that affected their daily lives. And about a quarter indicated fear about having children due to the climate. Grief over God's creation. Grief over a world that, as we know it, is dying. Grief for a future that may or may not come to pass. This is something that more and more theologians around the world are addressing. The church is not without resources. As the body of Christ, we are used to orienting ourselves around grief. The grief we feel as disciples of the man of sorrows, we are well acquainted with grief. The grief we feel at Jesus's suffering and crucifixion. The grief Jesus felt for his life, for his disciples, and for Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem saying, if you had only recognized the things that make for peace, 
Jesus speaks often to his disciples about the end of the world. Most of the time when he speaks about the end of the world, we sense him urging those who listen to gain moral clarity so that they can get their moral affairs in order. Strangely, however, in the parable we heard this morning, Jesus speaks about a situation in which urgency to gain clarity would not be constructive and could even cause greater harm. The analogy he decides to use to illustrate the situation is taken from the natural world. The bearded darnel is the weed of which Jesus speaks. Its roots surround the roots of good plants and suck up precious nutrients and scarce water, making it impossible to root it out without damaging the good crop. Above ground, darnel looks identical to wheat, that is, until it bears seed, making it even more difficult to know until harvest time which is wheat and which is weed. Can you imagine standing there looking at this field that you planted and cultivated and knowing that it was being spoiled and that you couldn't do anything to fix it? I imagine the grief I would feel and the constituent anger, blame, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Like the servants in the parable, I too would want to know who's to blame and to be able to sort the good from the bad. But Jesus knows that there are some situations in which everything is all intertwined with everything else and that cutting out one part would cause harm, even death to the other parts. Jesus also knows that there are some situations in which we don't yet know all we need to know in order to discern what might be helpful and what might be harmful. So as serious as a situation may be, as much as we want to perfect a situation, we have to learn how to deal with its imperfection. We have to make room for ambiguity. This is work that I imagine Jesus himself had to undertake in his grief, grief over humanity and over creation. In this parable, Jesus guides us not to rush in our anxiety to judgment before the world's story is complete and to trust that God, who will not endlessly tolerate a world that is spoiled, is still creating and will in God's good time judge and redeem. May it be so. Amen.